Welcome to the Your Skipper podcast, bringing you stories from captains and industry professionals working with super yachts, charter boats, and private yachts around the world. Whether your love is sail or power. And now your host, a super yacht captain for over 20 years who has been sailing since he was eight, Cameron Springthorpe. Well, James, welcome to the Your Skipper podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join me today and welcome. Thank you. I'd just like to start at the beginning and ask, how did you get into boating in the first place? I suppose I was lucky enough to grow up boating with my family. My father uh, originally used to run fishing trips when I was tiny. It's the point where I can remember needing to use a fish box to get enough height to be able to see over the helm to see out the window to be able to try and hold a course. So I remember those early days, uh, he had an old rowboat. So he learned to row at a young age, um, which spent more time sinking than it did afloat. Um, and then, yeah, that grew into a whale watching business. And eventually I started to skipper and it grew from there, really. Well, whereabouts was that? Where did, where did you grow up? Uh, on Mull. So that was over in okay. the north end of Mull. Um, I grew up and also the business fishing and whale watching that's a nice place to grow up and to start boating yeah very I, I say again very lucky we had lots of open spaces lots of places to explore on boats and lots of freedom i suppose as kids canoes and rowboats dinghies windsurfing we were doing also, we were on the water from my memory of my childhood all the time nice. and if we weren't at sea we were doing work on the boat for my dad or with my dad's too. Yeah, Mull was a great place for that. So it was kind of inevitable that you'd end up working at sea, or did you ever have um, ideas to go off and uh, become a brain surgeon or something? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, I actually quite fancied being uh, in the Navy. So, yeah, I suppose that is sea um, or sea-related. But I did actually apply for that and got the point where I'd, there was like a selection down in Tantorst or somewhere like that got that close to doing it and then uh, I took a year out um, and that changed everything <laughs> went tra- okay. traveling for a year and it my brother by that time had taken over the family business from my father so this is in the late 90s and then by the early 2000 2001 the business was growing so much that he said, hey, why don't you buy a boat and come and join me? He was turning people away. It was Whale watching was booming then. It was right. very early days for whale watching. So, yeah, I got my ticket 2001 and started skippering that year. So did you know Swanee with Marguerite Explorer? Yeah, I, I was fascinated by Swanee. As a kid, I remember that boat, Marguerite. Yeah. And just seeing her and it evokes so much seeing her out there. The idea of the, the places he would go, the exploring he was doing, yeah, it inspired me a lot. Him is another one. Um, I don't know if you know of Cubby, who was on, what was she called? Uh, Monaco was her name. Green hulled vessel. I don't remember. Uh, no. Those were the two vessels that I remember seeing as a boy that, yeah, I dreamt of being aboard and then going exploring on. So, yeah, I remember Marguerite. He ended up writing a book, didn't he, Swanee? 
Oh, did he? Um, okay, I don't mm, know. It, it didn't. It didn't. I don't think he printed that many of them. But I, could, I randomly found it and bought it in a shop on the Isle of Egg, a gift shop. <laughs> okay. I had a picture of Marguerite on the front cover, and she just looked as spectacular as ever with a skirt of egg in the background. And yeah, I've still I've still got some. I'll find it. And uh, oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. I met Swanee when I can't remember how old I was, but I would guess probably like 13, 14. And I was sat on North Pier and then I'd always like jump and take their lines and just like try and be helpful. And, um, and he got so fed up with me anyway. He said, well, do you want to come out one week and, um, and join us? And so I ended up going out quite a few weeks with him um, when I was like 13, 14. And, um, just as an extra hand, you know, peeling potatoes or doing whatever, like, um, and yeah, had some had some adventures on board. And then I remember one time particularly, we had gone out to the Pabe or Sandre, one of the bottom of the Outer Hebrides, um, and we anchored there with guests on board. And as we were coming into the anchorage, we it was really clear water, and we saw on the bottom this big anchor, and we thought, wow, we'll try and salvage that. So we we tried to drop our anchor on top of it uh, as close as possible. And then we spent all we didn't have diving kit on board, and we spent like couple of hours rigging up this fancy system of like lines and little weights and hooks and everything to to get um to hook it up and we got all the guests involved and the guests were loving it this you know um salvaging this anchor finally we we got it hooked and we got it um pulled it up to the surface and as it broke the surface we said oh look at that it's got the flute that's bent just like a hang on hang on we've no picked our anchor up the wrong way around <laughs> that's incredible you're kidding me and yeah, but there was a big anchor there. Wow. Somebody had lost, but but yeah, we picked up ours the wrong way. It took us about three hours to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. There's adventures like that that I think happened a lot with uh, Marguerite. Yeah. Um, he, he he went down to the salvage was it salvage islands or somewhere near the Canaries I think looking for treasure or something. Really, I can believe that too. Yeah. Yeah. She. Um, I remember going to look at her in 2004. She was she sat for so long in Arasig. I'm pretty sure she was up for sale then. And I couldn't believe going down into that saloon, how beautiful it was, yeah. fitted out. Yeah, did, did, did you ever hear of what happened with her? Did she go to the south coast, I think? And, I'm not sure. At, at some point, I saw her in, I think it was in Southampton or somewhere near there, yeah, Um years and years ago now and I, I don't know what happened to her that when i saw it there was just like somebody caretaking her and she was sat sat okay. not doing anything but yeah now i have no idea so. interesting so and what was what was your dad's boat that you were your brother ended up doing the whale watching with was that just day day charters or yeah it was day trips so it was a few different okay. types he had an offshore so sort of faster boat starting to do trips to the islands so to call and trashnish and then he moved to a much more comfortable boat with a flying bridge Take 12 uh, guests, a Kovic okay. Beta twin engine, and she was, yeah, fantastic. But yeah, she very sadly, I joined my brother in 2002, winter 2001, 2002 with a boat, and that was a, an open deck Suffolk 35, so like a wheelhouse forward. Also yeah. taking 12 guests, we were watching, and we were both running together for many years. Okay. To the point where the boats were getting full, and we were each running two or three cruises a day of four hour length. So it's business was really booming on Mull, sea eagles were getting known uh, as well as whales so that was bringing people um but unfortunately we bought we bought a third boat 
in the year of 2008, the same year we bought it, Alphabeta sank on her mooring. So that was a very oh, sure. sad time. It was like using, losing a family member. Yeah, no, not nice experience. Is that when you bought your Nelson? I didn't buy the Nelson until um, in 2015 I bought her. But I'd actually been using her for five years before that. It's because 2010 is when I started the ski school. Okay. Um, and it belonged to someone else, the Nelson, this fantastic gentleman, um, Norman, who didn't use his boat that much, but loved the idea of it being used more as a training vessel. So we went into business together and I effectively borrowed his boat um, for five years. As oh, the that's school grew. a good, good way to, to start and try the business then. And- exactly. It was win-win for both of us. Um, he was very trusting and um, we had a great relationship for all that time and it kind of came to a natural end i was in a position to be able to now buy her from him and he was moving off the island so uh, yeah five years ago now so tell me about the um about the training side of things then you, you do do yacht master training is that right yeah and just um, in the winter months well that's it it was it's interesting how these things come out of necessity right um being on mull and running the whale watching it was great all season, you know, particularly July and August. But come December, January, February, March, there was nothing. So you needed some form of income. Um, did various jobs. I remember one of the worst being deboning salmon in a salmon factory on Mull. I don't know if you've ever done that, but it sounds pretty bad. One of the most soul destroying jobs. <laughs> I With a pair of tweezers. I could do that. I think picking daffodils would be great. <laughs> This was, yeah, so you need to find a source of income. And that's because I was uh, at this point now coxing with a lifeboat, towed my lifeboat. Uh, they put me through my theory instructor for Yachtmaster because the idea being that during the winter months I could train the crew. And that then led into, well, actually, there's a bit of a demand here. Maybe I could start a theory school. Yeah. And that did that for a year. That was really successful working with a Gal College. Lots of demand. And then right now I need a boat to build two practical courses and I had noticed Bull Ranger sitting in the bay for many years and admired her yeah. and uh, found out who owned her and yeah that was as I say 2010 but then we moved into practical courses so they could then do day skipper yacht master courses um, yeah keep busy in the, in the winter yeah and that, as you rightly say that was a winter thing who, who comes to Scotland to do their yacht master in the winter I always picture People wanted to do your master somewhere sunny, but I'm glad to say every year. Well, other than this, obviously this winter, uh, every year I've been full every month, um, and people have come from all over the country. Uh, I have had some from Europe even coming who like the idea of there being less traffic, which I suppose you're thinking, well, that's a good thing, and also um, like the boat and the location. So yeah. I suppose they're all kind of go together quite well. And, and then the thing, you can do navigation with tides and currents and everything that you get up here, then yeah, this is it. Exactly. Uh, yeah, makes sense. So I think it's it's worked out quite well for that reason. Yeah. Nice. And so you just drop that in that you're coxswain of the lifeboat. How, how did that come? Yeah, about? I wasn't sure how else to, like? to tell how? that story because. That kind of just happened. Um, that was a, a lovely lady uh, who used to run the Chandlers in Tobermory called Seafair, which if anyone's been into Tobermory and needed 
a shackle or a winch handle or some sycophlex, they'll know that's where they need to go. Um, a f- emporium, amazing shop. However, she very sadly passed away um, just a year or so ago. Anyway, she in- came to me in 2002 and I just started skippering saying, James, I'd really like to, that's my little baby daughter Georgie saying hello. Um, she asked me in yeah, 2002 if I would be interested in joining the crew. And I don't know about you and the lifeboat, but it was always one of those things that I thought, oh gosh, no, I'm not, you know, I'm nowhere near the supreme, I don't know, you always think of the lifeboat as being something so incredible, that to join it is quite an exclusive club. You must be, you know, very experienced. And and so, but I went, I'm so glad I did go along that summer and found it was the complete opposite. You know, it was open arms. It was the camaraderie, the friendship that you very quickly get with the other guys and girls that are there was something I've never really seen before. Um, and that grew to the point where uh, by the following year, I was already a deputy coxswain and then and I worked my way up. It's something I've always wanted to do, but never been in the right place, never been close enough to lifeboat station for long enough um, to make any kind of commitment. Yes, but it's the training is absolutely incredible something you've never seen anywhere else before the standard yeah. of the training which i always loved so i tried to edify that in my own school <laughs> Try. Yeah. um and also you know you go to training every tuesday and you think why well, you're just going to do the same old thing but it wasn't like that the friendship you have because at, when you do get the page going off at two in the morning and you can barely get your jeans on the right way around you've forgotten how to drive the car because there's so much adrenaline pumping through your body yeah you try and get to the station safely and then get on that boat and when you're heading out with these people you don't really know what you're going to you're trying to work out what you're doing um but with these guys and girls you yeah you go through these experiences together sometimes it can be all night long other times you get turned around when you're only half an hour out which is good but yeah amazing i think it's something that everyone who's near the coast should if they could be part of. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what lifeboat is it in Tobermory? Uh, um, well, it's now a Severn. We used to have an Aaron. When I joined, it was the Aaron class. Oh, the Aarons are just just icons, aren't they? Just, aren't they? I had yeah. this thing about her. She was just such a beautiful boat. The way they, you know, you would you would just sketch an ideal kind of lifeboat. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what you'd sketch. It's yeah. Just, uh, and a fantastic seaboat, lots of power, um, great seaboat. We then got a Severn, and I think I was only on her for a year, and then late 2003, maybe, the uh, the Severn came in. So and what, that was what, just a different beast altogether. <laughs> what, when did you start with the lifeboat? Uh, August 2002. 2002, oh, okay. Yeah. I was Same just trying to work out whether, whether you would have been responsible for towing me in. I did have the um, courtesy of a tow from the um, Tobermory lifeboat, but it was must have been in 93 or 94. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Sorry, it wouldn't have been me, but um, <laughs> what happened? I was, um, I'd was i got my own little sailing boat, um, which I was planning to take across the Atlantic single-handed, and I was just in the process of like um, settling it down and settling, you know, getting to know it myself. And so I went up around the Inner Hebrides uh, for a few weeks with a friend on board um, and didn't really know the boat 
very well for starters um and i certainly didn't know that the tank was full of algae um until i got off on american point um in a bit of chop and um and then i found out (laughs) of all places yeah yeah so i got um i got a tow into tobermory and then marguerite explorer towed me back to oban wow fantastic did you do did you head across the atlantic then after that no, I ended up getting too old. Um, I, I did leave Scotland. I left Scotland when I was 16 um, and worked my way down the Irish Sea. And then in Cornwall, I had to refit the boat, finish refitting the boat and raise some more money. And by the time I'd done that, it was really getting too late in the year to cross Biscay. Okay. Um, and then everything compiled against me. And basically, I got by 17, I was too old to break the record. Um, oh, what a shame. So, uh, but I ended up keeping on sailing on that boat and i was away for six years on it um but just having adventures wow. okay on a little 25 footer wow <laughs> so Terrible. yeah got, got as far south as gibraltar um and then um i turned back i was sailing along the algarve and i was literally undecided whether to go south and go across the caribbean or to head back to scotland and the wind was from the south so i turned north okay started heading home yeah. yep. so we've gone from working on the whale watching boats and working on lifeboat and also getting your own boat what came next have you always been around the west coast or have you have you gone away abroad to warmer climate i did when i was much younger so uh, 18 i went to uh well, i went with project trust who are based on cod if you've heard of them they send volunteers yeah. all over the world for a year um it's like a gap year and i went to hong kong for a year and worked in hong kong at the bound school which was an amazing experience and they had a brigantine 132 foot brigantine called chi fung and she would sail from hong kong sai kung uh to places like philippines osaka and japan wow That's and a bit so different. i had some incredible experiences on her when i was 18 19 um and absolutely, yeah, loved it. So I knew I had a passion for sailing. Joined a couple of yachts as well when I was out there through a yacht club on some races out to the Philippines. And yeah, so I think though, however, once I started skippering back here on Mull, it's kind of just been the West Coast that I've skippered. Other than doing quite a few deliveries with lifeboats, we used to have these great adventures with the lifeboats because it used to be rather than taking the lifeboat for its annual refit to the Clyde, which you now do, we used to take them all the way down to Falmouth or somewhere similar. And of course, that was a great five day oh, okay. um, passage there or and also bringing them back uh, down to the Irish Sea. Yeah. yeah. Well, that would have been quite different. Were, were you tempted to stay out in um, Hong Kong and that area when you were out there? Yeah, well, I came back and they... Things went really well for me out there, and they did offer me a job as a two-year contract, and I really considered it. I don't know, but I think I've kind of felt like it's one of those things that I'd done or to do something else. Yeah. Sailing um, uh, brigantines is um, yeah, a whole different ball game, isn't it? Or sailing, mm. sailing a square rigger. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Completely different. But at that age, loved it. You know, you'd like a whippet going up and down the yeah. yard arms. And I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And in warmer seas, right, it's, it's a different environment, isn't it, to here on the West Coast? 
Yeah. Jump, literally yeah. jumping in for your morning dip. <laughs> swim around the boat. So, so you came back to to Scotland, uh, carried on with your your business, and then um, coming more up to date, you uh, how did you get involved with your your current job? Um. Well, my brother left the family business because my brother had joined the Merchant Navy when he was 17, so he had his officer of the watch ticket. Um, and he was because I he was for his winter work because uh, I and I started up the sea school he would actually be able to go off for six months off to deep sea and earn money that way to the point where he got offered you know a much more full-time job on a super yacht and very hard to say no to that so he left the business in 2008 and that and that or 2009 2008 2009 some of losing the boat uh, it was all kind of a tricky time um yeah. but also uh bought another boat the following year and with three boats um, the business grew and grew. Um, kind of okay. sold one of the boats. I can't remember what year. I think 2010 or, tw- or 11 to a guy from Plopton who has Callum Seal trips. Uh, he bought her. She was still a more lovely wooden 57 footer. And but kept. I kept running two other boats to the point where in 2016 I got approached by a competitor uh, in Tobermory who was interested in buying. The business well it was the winter of 2015-16 uh, and then throughout that winter we then kind of negotiated the deal and by august 2016 i'd sold the whale watching company which was quite something because my father had you know i'd been around it as a boy so growing up with it to then hand over to someone else after we worked yeah. out it was nearly 40 years it had been running and gosh well obviously felt it was the right thing to do but uh, it must have yeah been a hard decision to very a Make lot of discussions it. with my father particularly over this yeah. and you can imagine his initial reaction wasn't so positive but to be fair to him he definitely came round to the fact that it was a good way forward business at that time was booming and that, and you think well hang on a minute is that the time to sell a business but after really thinking about it i thought that's actually the prime time to sell it when it's on the up yeah had some lean years before that but certainly in 2015 things were really very good with the business so uh, sold the business and then didn't really know what was going to happen. But during the summer of 2016, um, I'd heard through another skipper that um, Rob at Hebrides Cruises was after was looking for a skipper to come and help him. He needed some help on Elizabeth Chi on a boat that again admired admired for many years. Yeah, and he also was looking at buying another boat. I did. I don't. Th- I don't think I said to you that I did run a liverboard myself for one year. Oh, okay. Where was that? It was in. It was. It's, it's from Tomori. Um, oh, right. It's kind of the years are getting muddled up here. But I did two seasons of skipperings, so 2002, 2003, and the winter 2003 again, admiring Marguerite and um, Monaco and Harry Slater and these other boats around. Jane R. I had this idea of buying a liverboard but running wildlife cruises um, and it wasn't didn't seem to be that it seemed that most of the boats were all doing dive cruises it didn't seem to be that it was a traditional kind of wooden vessel that was doing wildlife cruises and i thought well with the expertise of the wildlife side i could yeah. do liverboard and via my friend i heard of an investor who was really interested in buying a boat 
that they could have on the West Coast. And I thought, oh, maybe there's an idea here. So I approached him. He completely fell in love with the idea of it. Um, and we went into business together and we bought this boat. Her name was Kira Arfa, Kira Arfa, South Shields. She was an old pilot cutter. Oh, okay. 56 footer, I think, if I remember rightly. Single engine with a lovely gardener, AL3B gardener, a proper putt, putt, putt engine. And she had some lovely tan sails on her and she needed converting. So with his backing, converted her to live aboard for eight guests. And managed to find myself a crew slash uh, chef, Louis. And that season of 2004, um, we had lots of fun. We managed to get some people who wanted to come with us. We got the Sunday Herald who did an article on us and we uh, we got one family who chartered us actually for a week and that was great fun around the, the small isles. Unfortunately, as much as I was loving it and so was Louis, um, by September of that year, our investor decided he wanted all his money back and, oh. and he, he, we weren't paying him enough quick enough and it, we fell out quite a bit. Um, so that was the end of that. The boat had to be sold oh, and true. other such things. But it definitely gave me a taste for it. I managed to get to Barra yeah. on one of the cruises uh, in the Outer Hebrides and knew that's what I really wanted to do. Yeah. It was wildlife cruises, but live aboard. So you didn't have the limitations of having to come back in at four o'clock because people had to catch a ferry back off the island or catch a sure. bus. You were out. And if you were with a big beastie or watching things, you had the luxury of just being able to stay with them. Yeah. And it's it's such a different um, atmosphere, isn't it? I'm, I haven't, I've never done uh, day trips really, apart from one boat in Lisbon for a while. But but overall, like the the thing of having people on board for a week, where you actually get to know them, and you you know you've got that time to, as you say, like that you you don't have to be be somewhere at any particular time. Generally, is um, sounds a lot a lot more suited to the to wildlife really oh absolutely and that's it the, the, the idea that you could just zap out and see a beastie i know there's such a concentration of humpbacks for example in places like california that you can go out and probably be able to see one in that half hour and then zap back but it it just doesn't like that in the west coast with whales no. and sharks sure you might be lucky but the chances are you if you don't have that timetable that you might find something and you can stay with it yeah so that's why I, I knew that's what i wanted to do so yeah um, yet uh when i then approached rob saying is it something i could do with you and uh, it was an absolute yes which i'm delighted to say and uh 2017 was my first season of doing that um skippering elizabeth she and his yeah. new boat which he bought that year um that's become it's become like your um your little baby hasn't it um, i am quite fond of her yeah oh yes yeah. so the point was i was going to say that i did approach rob in 20 in 2003 2004 when i was looking for a boat for liverboard and he had a boat called popular diver an oh, yes. ex-lifeboat yeah. you remember yeah. her and i did i remember going on board and that's i already kind of knew rob having grown up in mull also but um we had a connection there with boats. Yeah, uh, he was also previously in the lifeboat, so we knew each other from then. Uh, so he in 2016-17 he bought the second boat. She originally was called Proud Seahorse and was bright red, the hull. And I remember doing a cruise with Rob 
on Elizabeth G, my first cruise ever heading out there. And then my second cruise was me skippering on my own on a Proud Seahorse. Okay. And that was quite an experience. He, he, he handed me the keys and said, oh, well, you know, I trust you. Off you go. <laughs> uh, with um, some other help on board on the engineering side. And off we went. Uh, she's then that winter got painted the same colors as Bichi, so she went blue and her name was changed. Uh, he named her after his daughter, so Emma Jane. Uh, yeah, and that's been, that's been three seasons. Has it been three seasons? Wow, 17, 18, 19, it has been, yeah. This would have been her fourth. She used to be a survey boat, didn't she? That's right, through the Admiralty. Um, my understanding of what she used to do is... To, uh, she was full-time an Admiralty survey vessel for many, many years. In fact, fitted out purposefully for that kind of work. With a right. little gantry on the back and very comfortable accommodation. All en suite cabins. Yeah. And for what yeah. we do now, the cruising, she's superb. You wouldn't be complaining if you were going to uh, on a survey um, trip on that, would you? Absolutely not, no. With the hot tub on the aft deck. And That's all that. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the owner really got it right. Um, yeah. I'm not surprised she was fully commissioned for so many years, that kind of comfort. So what's what's been your most memorable moment on the uh, on the West Coast in all these years? It's hard to beat, although I probably have some seconds and thirds that I can think of. It's really hard to beat seeing uh, Orca on the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, particularly John Coe, probably the most famous Orca on the West Coast. I, as a boy, I remember seeing him with my father, and I can still remember. I've told the story to many guests that I remember standing on the deck of Alpha Beta, and her gunnels were were about not quite two feet high. Um, but I was standing at the gunnel, and I remember this fin coming up, this humongous fin coming up. He, it was probably thirty feet away, but it felt yeah. to me like he was on the deck. And the way that fin would come up, and you, well, first of all, you'd hear the blow, the and then the fin. That was that definitely does something to you. <laughs> um, and I remember the sheer height of it, thinking that's higher than my head. Yeah. You know that uh, that fin. So yeah, it, I've obviously seen him since then. I saw him. I was very lucky. I don't think he's been seen, unfortunately, for a long time since last summer early last summer, but last June, uh, each year try and go out on the boat for uh, five days or so with my own kiddies. And last June, I was out with them. Just We just bumble about exploring, teaching them boats and stuff. And unbelievably, we came bumbled across John Coe uh, <laughs> with another male uh, just off egg. And for a full hour, he was actually almost circling us. I think they were feeding or foraging the waters we were in. But uh, my little girl, Evie, was screaming with delight because she was having the same experience I was having as a boy with this exact same orca, which was incredible. Oh, that's special, isn't it? Jonko. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty hard to beat that experience yes, seeing sure. him and how rare he is, how rare the sightings of him are. And how old are your, your kids? Uh, well, Evie has just turned 10. Okay. Uh, we, the, the, the theory Wait. is that John Coe is, um, he could easily be 50. So my dad, yeah. with, an, with actually, with um, Cubby, named 
uh, John Coe. It was one of the first orcas to be named on the West Coast, and they came up with that name together. Okay. And this is when, you know, whale watching was just starting. Um, yeah. And so he must, you know, that, that naming to that was over 40 years ago in 2016. So, yeah, he's quite oh. an old animal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember on on Marguerite we had um, a uh, I can't remember a hydrophone um, so that you oh, could yeah. listen to them, um, and that was that was cool. Yeah, it's but, amazing that even hearing the crustaceans on the seabed is amazing, isn't it? On a hydrophone, we used to on the whale watchers used to put one down on every cruise just for guests, even just to hear. Okay. There was a, a dredger that was four or five miles away, and yet yeah. you could hear it so clearly just under the water. Like it was underneath us, the noise of the chains and how much sound travels. But then yeah. also the sound just of the crustaceans. It sounds just like snap, crackle and pop, popping away, an amazing noise. It's an amazing noise. If you go snorkeling in somewhere um, tropical, typically you'll hear the crustaceans crackling away. Yes. Um, and I've heard um, the fish um, munching on coral out in the Caribbean. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Amazing sound. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So where do you see things going now? It's, uh, that's brought us up to kind of current day. I guess you, you're pretty busy with regards to family life at the moment. I think always trying to better things on the cruises. I, I've always had a passion for photography, videography. That kind of grew naturally on board because we, we started the first, my father started the first kind of photo ID catalogue for minke whales. In, oh, as right. far as I understand it, in this certainly in this country, and so was around people all the time trying to take these photos and learn about photography, and had obviously some nice equipment around, and that's where it kind of grew from, to the point where I started enjoying filming animals, and then trying to film them underwater with GoPros, and that then grew into getting a drone, and then starting to do videography, and that's grown and grown to the point where that's become a real passion, is making videos, films about the wildlife on the West Coast. Um, so I, I think keep developing that. I've seen a couple of your um, uh, of your video clips on on Facebook and so on, and uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, it just captures the feel of the place, especially the drone footage. I mean, it can be just amazing, can't it, to to yeah. really show what it's like out there and the colours of the water and everything. Yeah, it is. I, and I try as much as I can to make sure I'm not obtrusive to people or to animals. Um, I went, I went away and did my drone license and learned all about that and got official quite a few years ago. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that naturally, though, the way it's going, which I know has happened at Kilda and I think at the Shants, that you, you know, you're not allowed to fly there anyway now with the drone. So uh, right. you have to okay. be quite aware of where you're flying. Um, yeah. The other things that I'm starting to get interested in is just even having some sort of stabilised images on the boat and um, trying to share the guest experience. Uh, you can do so much even just with a phone nowadays, right? So I think that's, uh, that's something that's great, to keep yeah. developing. As you say, we're meant to be yes. doing our first cruise this Saturday. Uh, very odd to be thinking we're not going to be going out to sea. Yeah. And the boats are sat on their swinging moorings waiting for yeah. uh, more ordinary times. <laughs> yeah, right. For all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I won't take any more of your time, but thank you ever so much. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Well, yeah, all the best to you, Cameron. I'm sure I will see you later on this season. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Yeah, likewise. 
Thanks for listening to the Your Skipper podcast from yourskipper.co.uk. For show notes or to contact Cameron directly, please visit yourskipper.co.uk.